Yo, yo, this is your boy Rodney. And it's Candace. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Cohort 1986. Sit back and relax. As you envision a new you and new perspective of new beginnings. Enjoy, y'all. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm Rodney. I'm Candace. And this is another installment of Cohort 1986. Today we have a special guest, uh, Mr. Justin Perry, who's a uh, MSW, LCSW, LCAS. Say them names again. What else? MSW, uh-huh. LCSW, uh-huh. LCAS, okay. and the founder of Perry Counseling, Healing, and Recovery, PLS. Say that one more time. The what? The founder okay. of Perry Counseling, Healing and Recovery, PLLC. How are you doing today, brother? I'm good. I, I need I need Candace as my hype person. Though. <laughs> right there, hey, man, look, look. You're knocking me with the energy this morning. I love yeah, it. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let her travel around with me, yeah. <laughs> I will be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I met Mr. Perry uh, through a mutual friend okay. uh, named Jamal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamal knows everybody in Charlotte. He's everybody. Like the, the mayor. Everybody and uh, me and Candace actually saw Mr. Perry. Uh, it was twenty. It was twenty nineteen. Yeah, at the uh, Dr. King uh, ceremony at the Harvard Dance Center where he was a keynote speaker. Yep. And I'm like, I, I've got to get to know this brother. And just kind of fate just brought us to this point yeah. where uh, he was actually on our other show in the construction a few months back. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just talking some of his social justice work. And this is a brother that has a wealth of knowledge and and, and just has a a, a passion for the community. Yeah. And so uh, everybody just welcome Mr. Perry again. Yes. I'm so glad to have you here um, today. So we're going to let you introduce yourself. You know, we didn't call out all these acronyms, acronyms, accolades, accolades behind his name. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that's credential charges right there. You know okay. <laughs> Collective fees, man. Collective fees, right? So no, no, but no, I, I appreciate you all having me and and I definitely um you know definitely followed under construction and like you said, no no Jamal from, from high school, West Charlotte. So Dub C, we always stand with each other and um and then it was just kind of cool getting to to kind of track you, Rodney, and then coming on under construction and, and then kind of being Candace and everything else. And I think it's just cool, first of all, the fact to see a black couple having their own kind of podcast and everything like that. I think that's a beautiful thing. And 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 for me, I think this is it's always an honor to come on and be able to speak to the to the realities of, of, yeah. of mental health mm-hmm. and and just the journey professionally and all of this stuff. So I appreciate you all doing what you're doing with this and and uplifting all of us. So thank you for having me. No thank problem. You. Thank you. We will get the ball rolling. So, um, Mr. Perry, where are you from, man? Um, Charlotte is a transplant city, transplant town. Yeah, I don't know anybody from Charlotte. I I I, I I've been here for a while. I know a couple. Oh, uh, come on. Are, are, you, are, you, are you a native, or are you from like South Carolina or Michigan, <laughs> or Ohio? Ohio. <laughs> I'm 100 percent born and born and raised, man. You know we got a unicorn right here. Are you sure you're you from Charlotte, North yeah. Carolina? <laughs> I, I, let me be clear, and I tell people all the time, I'm like Charlotte is a unique place, right? Because like, like I think part of it was because a lot of us that were born here were probably, I guess, snobbish about it in a way. Whereas if somebody was born in Concord or whatever else, <laughs> 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 I'm 
first. So I was like, where'd you go to high school? Uh, Northwest Quebec. Now you're not from Charlotte, right? <laughs> Charlotte, you know, from out there. <laughs> that doesn't happen in D.C., New York, places like that. If you're within like the metro area, people claim it, right? Because like, right. it'd be like counting New York City. It's only people born in Manhattan, right? But, right. But, you know, and but yeah, so so now it's like people are like, well, nobody's from here, and there's a bunch of us are like, hold on, wait a second, who are y'all around, man? Y'all gotta expand your circle out here now. Yeah, so now I was I was born born Presbyterian Hospital and. Okay. My wife was, and my kids have been, and so yeah. Wow. Yeah. You married a native too, man. Wow. Now yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. But yeah, I grew up Hampshire Hills, so yeah. So, okay, uh, Hampshire yeah. Hills. Okay. Cool. So, um, tell us, like, you know, when you were a kid, what did you want to be as a kid? Oh man, so this, I always joke. I said this way, this way, you start to realize, like. Maybe I'm actually a failure based on this, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my goal when I was young, actually, I grew up. Um, I love playing sports, and, mm -hmm. and my goal was I was going to be in the NBA. Okay. And then I was going to retire from the NBA and go to Harvard Law School okay. and become a Supreme Court justice. Okay. Mm. So far, so far, I'm zero for three on those, right? Uh so uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, oh, but, man. Yeah, but nah, that, that was the thing. I always liked, um, I always liked fighting for justice. I always liked mm -hmm. yeah. sometimes going back and forth with things. And so, yes, yeah, so that was, but I, I love playing ball. And so I was like, yeah, this is my pathway. And I remember okay. from, from fourth and fifth grade that that was, that was the career path that I had. Um, that was what I had in my mind until I shadowed at a law firm and realized, yeah, this is an incremental yeah. slower than I want it to be. Yeah. 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 I, I was a poli sci major and I'm like, eh, this ain't for me. Yeah. yeah. I started at one time, I was like poli sci when I first got to school because I was like, you know, I'm going to be a lawyer and I'm going to. I was like, eh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I can remember all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so let me just let me ask you a question. So, how how would you describe your your childhood? Like, what kind of values did, did your parents instill in you? Sure. No, I always tell people I was very um, I was very fortunate with my parents from the standpoint. My mom was a teacher, so so basically, oh, so she was so she was on me about school from the beginning, right? So she she, <laughs> she worked about school. Right? She, she was I'm always the same way. Yeah, you know, and, and so she was a teacher at my elementary school, and so. When I got in trouble, I didn't go to the principal's office. I got sent to my mom. And so, so I had a very short-lived career of getting in trouble, right? Because <laughs> there's no more embarrassing thing than, than, than for you to get taken to your mom, for your mom to handle you, and for everybody else in there to know that's what's already happened. And so, so yeah, I, I already knew from the jump that really, that wasn't a life for me. And so, um, <laughs> you know, my dad, my dad worked in the car business. And so, but he was... I mean, he worked probably 60, 70 hours a week. He was, wow. he was, he was gone doing that most of the time. And it's one of those things where I came to appreciate it later. Like when mm -hmm. I, when I was younger, you know, part of me was upset that he wasn't around for different things. And then he would kind of pop in and try to lay down some discipline. And I'm like, man, you're not even here. How you know what <laughs> else, right? You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as I got older, I realized that, you know, the, the amount of work and grind he was putting in was so that, that we could do things like yeah. play basketball and stuff yeah. like that. But um but yeah, no, I can I always remember I can give you a quick thing when I was in middle school, yeah. I was trying out for basketball and um 
I made the first cut. So it's the first time you ever have to try okay. for something to get cut. And so, you know, you go and you look on the list and you see the names on there. And I see my name on there. I'm like, cool. <laughs> well, the same day, my mom had just gotten something from some of my teachers about some missing assignments that, you know, Ooh. that, you know, cause I hadn't, and it was, it was a little petty stuff, you know, with mom, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you know but, wait, but, wait, let's talk about this petty stuff. <laughs> it, was, it, it was like, it was getting your, getting your, your test signed or something like that, you know, oh, okay, okay. So I well on the test, but I just didn't get it signed and bring it back. And so, but I had these missing assignments and, and so, so I'm coming home all excited about, I'm about to make the team. You know, mom was like, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you might not be playing basketball, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, yep, you know, all yep. of a sudden that that deep voice. Even though I was a deep voice middle school kid, I st- it was cracking at that point, right? And um, Ooh, and then so but luckily, I, you know, I talked to my dad because my dad played basketball at a uh, Catawba College, and so he was oh, always was there. And um, and he talked to my mom. It was like, let's just give him a chance. You give him a chance. Make sure he tightens it up, and you know, let's not take yeah. this away from him right away. And um, and I learned pretty soon that sports. Sports was important, but but school had to come first, and mm-hmm. so yeah, and mm-hmm. so they they drove that home for me, and I, and I realized that I'm I'm grateful for that to this yeah. point. But they also told me it was important to, to care about my faith and my community, and so yeah. I always learned I wasn't just doing things for me; I was having to do it for other folks as well. And so mm-hmm. so that was stuff that was instilled in me early on, and mm-hmm. and and being able to stand up for what was important was something that was always pushed. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. yeah, yeah. So uh, let me ask you a question. Every black man's dream that grew up in North Carolina is to go to UNC Chapel Hill. So uh, let me ask you a question, man. <laughs> the day you got that letter saying that you got into UNC, how, what, what happened? How did you feel, man? Yeah, man. Hey, <laughs> no, man. It, it was a great feeling, man. It, it was, it was, it was, a, it, was a, it was a big feeling, you know. Because I mean, it was it, like I first. It's funny because the first reason why I liked the school, I mean, everybody I was like, it was basketball, right? And then I learned about Dean Smith, and the thing was, Dean Smith not only was a great coach, but he was great around civil rights and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it was a lot of people don't realize, but I mean, that was one of those things where I was like. Yo, this is it. And my dad, my dad was from Brooklyn, New York, but he okay. he moved here and, and Charlie Scott was the was the, the first black scholarship athlete there and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things that really put him on that. And so when I when I got that letter, man, it was it was definitely like Wow, man, yeah, this is this is this is big right here, you know. And, yeah. I, and it wasn't, you know, my mind was already it was made up. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like, you know, yeah, this is this is what's happening. So yeah, so I was yeah. I was excited about that. So you went to UNC Chapel Hill and you graduated from your with, with, the, with your bachelor's and your master's. So what made you pursue the field of uh, psychology and sociology? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, and, and I tell people all the time is like, I, I always believe you got to give like, give the full picture of everything, like the three dimensional mm-hmm. realities. And, and I, you know, for me, I had to get the three dimensional realities, even my time at UNC. Right. And so. And so it's one of those things where there's 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 love parts of it, and then there was challenging parts as well. Yes, so, right. um, so you know, full disclosure, for a lot of my life, I was often somebody who was a, a bridge between different communities, you mm-hmm. know, and and even in the midst of school desegregation, which was something that was big here, I was often the bridge between um, some white parents and kids and, and mm-hmm. other black parents and kids who weren't typically connected, and, and in a way. 
you know, that's something where you feel like is an honor, but it, sometimes it also could be a, a burden or a challenge. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I can remember I can remember being in high school and having parents say things like seeing a group of football players coming through the gym hyped up and everything else the same way that I would be if I were with them and most of them being black and a white parent saying things like why can't why can't they be more like you and me being like yeah what does that mean yeah I can can understand but at the same time a 16 year old being willing to kind of challenge a 40 year old on something like that in that kind of space is just like you just kind of you you realize you're internalizing it so when I was Mm -hmm. there um my first sophomore year is what I always call it. The year that she go unnamed, my, my first sophomore year, I was um I was staying in the dorm, Hinton James, and um, which is, is great. It's, it's, it's right near the Dean Dome, but it's also the furthest away from classes and camps and everything else. And they were doing construction mm-hmm. and everything was fenced in, and it was almost like we were like <laughs> locked in, right? Right. And um that's the year I was in a suite and I was the only black student in there, right? Which again, mm-hmm. I'd been in situations, I've been where mm-hmm. I was the only black person in my class, whatever else, yeah. navigated. And and you started hearing all kinds of kind of microaggression kind of things. Like somebody mm-hmm. on TV is just has cornrows or something, and somebody's like, Oh man, so he's such a thug. And I'm like, Well, well what makes him a thug? I mean, right. you, you know, you can just tell, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. My brother's got cornrows. He's 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 far from a thug, but, right? You know, and and so and so I kind of would start asking questions. I'm like, so wait, what are you what are you saying about me? And he's like, you know, and it just kind of things like you're different. You know, we're not we're not talking about you. And so again, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you start to think. So when you say something like this here, in front of me, this is one thing. Now, when you're in another crowd and you say this, somebody calls you out on it. You're saying. I'm not racist, you know. That's one of my mm-hmm. best friends is black, and, right. and you're talking about me. So in other words, right. I'm giving you cover, right? And, yeah. and so, <laughs> or one of my boys, he was at NC State at the time. We would kind of go back and forth having conversations about our Martin phase versus our Malcolm phase, right? And and that mm-hmm. was an overly simplistic because one of the things you realize is is they actually were closer <laughs> than you realize. Like realize. More, yeah. more radical. And Malcolm was was still radical, but more inclusive than folks realized. But but at that point, that's the way we summed it up. It's like mm-hmm. the the phase of I, I want to work with white, white people, and another phase which is I'm tired of getting worked by white people. Mm-hmm. And and I actually I went through my own depression, and I was mm-hmm. like my own depression and anxiety, and I was sh- shut down because I was basically having kind of my own crisis of consciousness. And and I'm somebody who also had grown up in the church and was always very active in that. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things about praying and everything else, you know, I, I was trying to do that. My mom, even though she was a teacher, yeah. you know, counseling was not something that we talked about. It's something that yeah. we did in my family. Right. Know, that was something that, you know, white people did that. We we prayed and we were strong and all of the other kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. and so all of a sudden I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm like, not only, I feel like I'm letting not myself down, but I'm letting down my family. I'm letting down the church and everybody who was yeah. behind me and all of these folks. Yeah. And so... So, yeah, and this it, is real, Justin. I'm really yeah. glad that you brought up this point because, you know, when a lot of us go to university, um, we have this weight that comes on us. Like, we're the chosen one. So, I mean, I'm really glad that, you know, you're able to see that while you were in school. And that was something that kind of came to light for you. 
No, no doubt. And I think, and and, it, and truth is, it took it took a friend for that to happen, right? And and because mm-hmm. I was I was, well, I had made up my mind, Candace, that I was gonna, you know, I was like, I'm just gonna go ahead and and flunk out, and then I'm mm-hmm. gonna transfer to an HBCU. Now, mm-hmm. I was people think about this for a second. That's why I was telling my clients, like, when your brain is is off and you're making your own decisions, it's not always rational. Because I'm sitting here thinking, I'm about to I'm about to stack up some Fs. And then I'm going to try to transfer somewhere else and say, here's my transcripts, right? Nobody yep. wants that. Nobody wants that, yeah. Right. But it seemed like a rational idea at the time when it was just me. And so luckily I had a friend who, because um, I was screening my calls, I was dodging my professors, I was dodging friends because I'm a social yeah. person and I was, but I didn't know what to do, right? And so she came in, she said, no, you're not going to just go to the dining hall with a hood on and grab your food and come back to your dorm like you've been doing. We're yeah. going to ask you to down need. And so we did. I told wow. her to go on. And she said, don't you think you should talk to somebody? Mm-hmm. You know? And I went, talked to the deans. And they told me, hey, you know what? Go home. Go work on yourself. Um, if, you know, and then try to take some classes. And if you go home, work on yourself, take classes, and, and you can cut it, you can come back, yeah. you know. Okay. And, and so so I did. And I, I saw, a, saw a counselor. And... Mm-hmm. First couple times, I tried to act like I was on top of the top of my game, and I was like, "Oh, I might do an internship with this guy." And, and he probably looked at me after like the second, third session and said, "We're not peers." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you got a, I got an issue, and either okay. we can get real about that, or you know, we're wasting each other's time. And so I did that. I came back. I did well in school, and I decided I want to give back to folks what was given to me. And that was yeah. kind of that was what pivoted me from wanting to do law school into doing therapy and counseling with folks. Wow! 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 wow. I do have a, another question for you about that experience. Um, I think we're getting a little echo. Aesthetic. That's what I'm seeing as well. Okay. Good. This sounds good now. Okay. All right. So. Um, My question for you is, you know, as a black male, you know, going to get help, I mean, what was that experience like? You know, most African-Americans, we tend not to go to counseling. We tend not to go to therapy. Um, What was that experience like for you going? We just have some technical difficulties. for me... It was definitely different. It was hey, Justin. Um, there is still static on your end of his uh, leg. Yeah, I'm gonna try to sign out. Can I sign out? Sign back in. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. so guys, um, we're gonna give Justin a couple of minutes to sign out and sign back in. But feel free to send in any questions that you guys have. Um, about mental health or questions that you have, um, just in general about seeking therapy. Um, This session is really meant to educate um, Mm -hmm. everyone um, about the subject. Yeah, and uh, like Candace said, uh, you can come on our YouTube live, uh, submit the question, uh, and and, and then we'll ask the question to Justin, um, and we just look forward to your, your interaction. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, this is one of those topics that people tend not to talk about mm -hmm. um, is mental health. Yeah. And, you know, we just want people to be aware of these benefits that they're out there, that there are people that look like you um, that you can get for counseling and to get to help you. So, you know, this session is just really meant to be a bridge yep. and to open the door. And then also, I mean, Justin has a similar background to all of us. And mm -hmm. you may not need counseling, but you may be interested in pursuing a career in counseling. Yeah. And, and, and he can give you those steps to get to that point of, of where he is. And Justin is back right now. All right. All right. Let's give it another shot. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I think we're good now, Justin. So my question for you was, you know, what was that experience like realizing that, hey, you know, maybe I do need to get some help? Um, and, you know, how was your friend um, influential in that? You know, so was it that they just saw you being alone, that they saw that you were disengaging? Um, what was it that what were the triggers that, that made them check on you? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, so yeah, so no, it was definitely, yeah, it was the fact that I was, I was disengaged and, and not connecting with folks and okay. um, not out socially. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure my roommate who also knew my friend. I don't I don't really know that he necessarily was trying to put me out there, but at the same time, it's like you live in somebody and like they, they never leave the room, <laughs> you know, right. it's like a whole um um thing. And, and so so yeah, so it was it was an interesting thing, like you said, and being a man and being a black man, again, often you know, you're always taught to kind of solve your own problems, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so and so I was used to helping other people with their issues. Um and but also I was used to for the most part being able to work through my own stuff. And yeah. so and and I and I realized that I had a hiccup earlier in life, but I didn't realize that till later on, right? But but yeah. I was able to kind of push through, but then this one I couldn't push through. And and so she just said, you know, hey, we need to talk. You know, none of us see you, none of us hear you, you know, hey, I just want to check in and and yeah, and, and it was it was it was uncomfortable at first, but then there was a relief. Honestly, it was a relief because when you're doing that, you're kind of having to to lie, right? right. You have to lie by omission or by commission, and so um, it was a relief in a way to just acknowledge that no, I actually, I, I don't, I don't really know what to do with this thing right now. Um, that, but yeah, but then it was tough going home. You know, I'll be honest. You know, you know, because it's like you again, you were there and you were doing these things, and people were proud of you, and then you're coming back home, and it's like. Yeah, you know what? It, what's 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 going on? You know, and you, and you don't want to go to the grocery store because you don't want to see anybody because you don't want to. Like, aren't you supposed to be in Chapel Hill? Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you only have so many breaks that you can technically be home on, right? Yeah, right, right. And mm -hmm. then just from a then from a life standpoint, it's like you're. I'm not in high school anymore, so it's not right. my social circle is off here. Right. I'm too young for the for the real adult scene. I'm too old for what is around here. Mm -hmm. And I'm around my parents and everybody's probably really just want to not necessarily be around each other. And, right. and I got lucky and I got a, I got a job answering phones at a place that, that does, they do mental health work, community wow. building and stuff like that. And that okay. was, that was, it was, it was a two part thing. So it was me getting counseling, yeah. but then it was basically a place 
um, somebody who I'd gone to school with their daughter and done some advocacy mm-hmm. stuff with that said, hey, we just need somebody to answer phones. I, I, I heard you trying to get a job. And when I went there, I found out about um, the MSW, the Master's in Social Work degree. And what I found out was they do counseling work, but they also do social justice work. And I wanted to be in civil rights law. And I was like, dang, it's like they made a degree for me. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And I would say, and that friend is now, you know, my wife and the mother of my kids. And so when I say (laughs) that again, out of that darkest points come a lot of my brightest lights, you know, it's it's not a cliche. It's it's true. Mm -hmm. So, so, so how did your family uh, respond to you taking, uh, getting counseling? In the black community, that that's not yeah, a normal like, thing. You gonna yeah. be okay. You gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah. Just pray about it. Just pray about it's it. Some magic will happen, and you'll be fine. So, so, yeah. so, so, how did you deal with that? And yeah. did you tell them? You know, because that's that's one thing that people kind of deal with whenever they're going to therapy or thinking about going to therapy is like, man, I don't want nobody to know I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah, nah. Well, in this situation, I really had no choice because I had to come back home from school, okay. right? <laughs> you know, and so, so yeah, no, it's it's a hundred percent what you what you're talking about because again, I, that was the thing that kept me from saying anything for the longest. So mm-hmm. that was why I was dodging the phone calls and everything else because I didn't want to know I'm up here, shut down, you know, locked away in my own room, you know, like the uncle everybody thinks about, right? Mm-hmm. And in a prison of my own brain. And mm-hmm. so, so, you know, I had to kind of have that realization that my dad was the one that had to take me up to go remove like my furniture and stuff in my dorm room. I think that's like when it really got real. Right. And so yeah. you go up there, you know, semester's over with, you're not coming back. <laughs> right. Let's go get your stuff. And so we go up there and it's just like, man, it just hits you right? right and so um so then you ha- then you you kind of have to have a conversation you kind of at least for me it was like i don't i don't know what's wrong right now i don't know but i know this is what i got to do to be able to go back to school and and so at that point i think i think on some level for my parents it was probably one of those this is what we practically have to do in order for you to figure out how to get back to school Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, it kind of opened up deeper conversations and everything like that. Because, yeah, no, I was the first person in my family ever to do any kind of counseling or anything like that. Again, um, it's always been a church. And, and what I learned was that it, it doesn't have to be an either or thing. Exactly. But, um, exactly. You know, and so, yeah, so that's why I try to I try to be transparent about my stuff, because I know that's that's such a common journey. Like you said, Candace, that whole concept we have about being crazy right you know and and i think i think the more that we can kind of break down this idea that this like that i'm crazy or something is just off of me if i need help you know that's that it makes sense for us a lot of the things that we've gone through mm-hmm. generation after generation after generation like if there's any if there's any community in this country that's that's worthy of having somebody to talk through things with it's certainly the black community right <laughs> Said a mouthful, man. You said a mouthful, and, and it's the truth. Mm-hmm. It is the truth, and it couldn't be farther from the truth. And you know, like when whenever you were gone, we were just kind of talking to people, and we're like, you know, 
this is a serious conversation. You know, these are conversations that we need to start having in our households. We need to make it okay for people to go to counseling, for people to seek therapy, or even for people to talk about how they feel. So, I mean, I I, I appreciate you being so, you know, straightforward and transparent um, about this topic. So, how did you, you know, so you go back to school. So what is, what does the path look like to become a therapist? Um, you know, can you talk, you know, at a very high level about, you know, education, you know, we know you had to go to school, but you know, how many hours do you have to train? You know, what are some of those specific things that you have to do? Sure. Sure. So, yeah. So like I said, I went back to school, um, went back to undergrad. I learned that I learned that that when you actually go to your classes, you can actually do a lot better than when you don't go to your classes. You know, that's uh, you know that was one of the. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> I was like, man, you know that class that I plunked over there. You know, day when I actually showed up, I got an A, and this is crazy, right? You know, but um, so you do that, and and for me, and some people go straight from school to applying to programs. Like my again, I was a master's program. For me, I want to be sure. So what I did was I I graduated yeah. and and then I worked for two years at a place, Thompson Child and Family Focus, where I worked in um in the day treatment as well as in a residential unit with, with kids and adolescents with significant trauma, stuff like that. Wow. And what I did was I did that two things. One, it helped me know that this is what I wanted to do. Right. But then two, when I applied for grad school, that that experience helped as well you know because yeah. you know for me i'm having to my transcript looks great from this point on it looked good here then it looks ooh here and then it looks great here you know yeah. and so, and so 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 when i'm writing my personal statement you know i'm writing this personal statement not only talking about professional but i'm talking about again how i've lived this out and everything else yeah. and and so i think to me i always encourage folks if you get a chance to do work or stuff over the summer or even if you get a chance to go not have to go straight to grad school and, and yeah. do some stuff beforehand i encourage that but um but yeah so once my master's program it takes if you do it full-time it takes two years okay. i can do it that way because um at that point my wife and i we already had a house here and so mm-hmm. so i had to do the three-year program where i would commute once a week the triangle for classes and then you have to do an internship as well um which is 12 to 16 hours for two of the years and everything else and so it's i was telling people it's it's a grind but the good thing with the internship is you get to see you get to get a feel for what you do like to do and what you don't like to do as well because sometimes you can take a job and then you've already taken a job and you realize I don't really like doing this. Yeah. I don't work, like working with these kind of folks. <laughs> this is not really where I'm gifted, you know? Right. And so I was an internship. Those are, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's free-ish opportunities, mm-hmm. right? It's free-ish opportunities for you to really kind of fill those things out. And, and um, so, yeah, so I did that. Now, when you graduate, once you graduate, there's a process of getting licensed. Mm-hmm. And so for the, licensed clinical social worker, which is what I am. Mm-hmm. There's another one that's licensed clinical mental health counselor. Those things, you have to have two years of, of experience where you're working oh, and, wow. and somebody's doing somebody's doing supervision for you and you're seeing right. that you meet with them once a week for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they want to make sure that you, you have some actual experience before you just go out and say, I'm going to open up my own shop and just start 
right folks and everything else and so but yeah that's it and, and the I did the clinical addiction specialist for substance use related things that again, I did that. I used my elective classes to basically give me that. And then I had to do a year of supervision for that. And so what I always tell folks is there's a way um, when you apply for jobs, there's some places that will will include that Mm -hmm. as part of your package. Um, And they may pay you less in the beginning. All right. But that's what I ended up doing. You know, I worked in Stanley County for about two and a half years, which is rural. It's a, it's a different community, right? Yeah, got you know, it. I left behind Milltown, and um, but, but they pay for they, yeah, it's it's different, right? And uh, but I, I mean, I loved it. It was a great experience, but um, they paid for both my licenses. Oh wow! Otherwise, you're paying somebody a hundred hours a week, a hundred dollars a week, or whatever else for each license, and you know that adds up. So yeah. I always tell people, think about that. If you look at that first salary and they're including the supervision, mm-hmm. but the salary is not exactly what you want. Yeah. Look at that almost like it's a short term investment, because once you have those credentials, it opens up your opportunities. Yeah, yeah. that's good career planning. Good yeah. career planning. Yeah. Find someone else to pay for it. Exactly. <laughs> but seriously. <Yeah. laughs> <He's doing. laughs> it's true. It's true. Awesome. So, so Justin, like, okay, so you get this license. So then you open up your own practice. So talk like, to us vision, about that process. Yeah. That? So, so his day is, it, it was even a journey into that as well. Right. And so like what you see, a lot of my life has been different journeys. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so I had that, I had my own personal journey through undergrad. Yeah. You know, once I got to, once I got, once I actually got my undergrad degree, it was a journey because I was working overnights in a residential unit while I was going commuting to the trial to get my master's. Yeah. And when I came back, you know, I would commute an hour up, an hour back from Stanley County to get the license. Once I got it, mm-hmm. now I worked it here. I worked in agencies around town. So I worked at Nuvia and places like that. And I want to keep building my experience. And, and I'll, I'll say this part just because I think it's something that's important for folks to know when we talk about kind of, again, navigating mm-hmm. bumps in the road. Um, you know, almost most of my career, any job I interviewed for, I got, right? Mm-hmm. Then there was one one job um, which most people on my team were like, you're the person, you know, and um, had a supervisor who had been there for a long time, was great. And I think she there was a clash between her and some of the leadership and the leadership kind of nudged her out. And, and I never went for the promotion as long as she was my supervisor. But once she was gone, I was like, well, I'm going for this. And and ultimately the leadership placed somebody in there that they didn't think would challenge the same way. And, and, and so and so for me and my team, my team was behind me and everything else. And I just and I just said, hey, you know what? It's probably best for me to not be here because if y'all are gonna have a fresh start, I can't be here as a part of that and everything else. And yeah, for me, yeah. it was like I need to go ahead and I need to figure out my approach, right? So again, so again, we don't always have like this smooth path, right? And so so I don't get this job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the there's the there's the racial, there's the there's the the other dynamics at play and everything else, but um, but it's really more about. I think this person will kind of 
toe the line and I think you'll probably challenge. And so, which was true. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and, and the person actually saw me in, in the parking lot my last day and he said to me, he was like, this is, this is kind of weird. I didn't think this would be it. He's like, maybe someday I'll probably be asking you for a job. And I was just like, I'm, I'm not even going to take the bait on this, but I'm like, yeah, I, I know what the answer would be, right? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, um, but so, so I go ahead and, and I, and I, and I have a couple of other things I do, um, in the meantime, and I'm working at an agency and I'm doing some private practice on the side and, and I'll be, you know, truthful. I didn't, um, I didn't see myself doing full-time private practice. I actually said, there was a lot of things I said I would never do. And, and I kept ended up doing them. And one of the last things I said was be full-time in private practice. Mm -hmm. And I, I quit saying never, cause I realized I started to learn I'm not really in control like that. And, um, and so, so at a certain point doing the social justice work, doing the agency work, doing the private practice. And then I had two kids that were, at that point, I think under four, it was like, man, I, I was like, so I got to let something go, or the yeah. most important thing will let me go, right? And um, wow. And so, so I started running the numbers, and I started saying, what do I need to do in order to be able to do this full time? What kind of what what do I need to make? I actually talked to one of my former colleagues and friends who had gone full time. And I was talking to her about her experience, what was working for her, her and I started listening to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And so, and I was like doing all of these things and getting my information, getting my ducks in a row, and then took that leap, right? And and I took that leap and was trying to figure out how I'm gonna make sure that I can get the money I need to pay my bills, okay. but also reach folks mm -hmm. who I want to reach who may not necessarily have the same access. And so, right. um, and, and so. It's been a journey, man. And honestly, I've been very blessed and very fortunate um, and gradually kind of had other people come into the fold. And, and again, honestly, it's it's gone beyond what I even anticipated at this point. And, and so really, at this point, it's really just been about trying to be strategic and really trying to be targeted in who I work with. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, no, so I know I'm just kind of just kind of talking right now, but yeah, nah, you know, it's just kind of a, valuable information. It's been a journey, man. So it's the combination of, of, of people listening to podcasting, other folks who've done it, and again, um, still staying grounded in, in what is it that's important to you and, and how do I be authentic? Um, yeah, so authentic. yeah. I, we do have a question um, about yeah. mental health before we get into social justice. Absolutely. So what would be some good daily activities to maintain your mental health? Sure, sure. So, you know, so I'm going to give you some of the things that are basic things that folks always tell you, but they're, they're very legitimate. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, doing 20 to 30 minutes of, of, of physical activity, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I don't even use the word exercise because sometimes when we hear that, it, it for some people, it creates a block, right? I ain't doing that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I mean, and and honestly, that can be if you really do like listening to music or listening to podcasts or something like that. Been doing that in your headphones and, and walking around wherever you live, Got you know, um, you know, figuring out um, eating is eating is really important, you know. Yeah. And we all say don't. 
you know, in the world of recovery, they say don't let yourself get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired, you know, so figuring out when you're eating, not only am I eating a balance of, of, of protein, of, of fiber and, and, and you know, and leafy vegetables and, and fruit, stuff like that, mm-hmm. but also that I'm eating throughout the day, not allowing yourself to go more than three hours without eating anything, because sometimes what happens is we get over hungry. Yeah. And, that's, and that's what's really in the same way that happens with little babies and kids. <laughs> that's all we are is kind of grown up versions of those. Right. Um, um, but I'll, I'll give you all a couple of of things that you can do just even on a on a on a technical place. So mm-hmm. one of the things I always do is there's something called a serenity prayer. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the serenity prayer, you know, and, and I always tell people that's it's not based on whatever religion or you have or don't have. It's mm-hmm. it's more of a philosophical thing, which in but the words are God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, mm-hmm. the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And what I tell folks to do is actually break that up, like break your break what's going on into list. You know, what is it that I'm stressed about? And I need to figure out which bucket it is. Is it something I can change? Mm-hmm. Is it something that I cannot change? And what I want to do is I want to actually spend all my energy addressing those things I can change mm-hmm. and then figuring out how do I actually let go of the things that I can't? Because what most of us do is we wrestle with all the things we can't change mm. and don't even have any energy or, 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 or ability to address the things we can change. Wow. And now it feels like I've done nothing. Right. And so now I'm stuck kind of spiraling. Um, but yeah, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, techniques that you can use in this process just to kind of yeah. break things down. So, so, so I, I have a question for you. So uh, within our, within, within our community, the African-American community, Mm-hmm. We, we do have a lot of barriers to getting mm-hmm. help. Uh, the main one being uh, financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so how how do you, how do you and your practice address that? And are you partnered with uh, with different practices to to meet those needs of people? Absolutely. So, no, it's, it's a great question. And and honestly, Ronnie, that was that was my biggest angst around going full time into private practice from the beginning because it's like. I got two kids in childcare, and, and for those of you all who have not experienced childcare, you know, basically what that's saying when you got two kids in childcare and you got a mortgage, what you essentially have is two and a half mortgages, right? So you know, <laughs> like, you know yeah, nah, yeah, I got, I got my own beach house, yeah, yeah. They, they go Monday through Friday, right? <laughs> <Don't> see it, <laughs> but um, and so that that was that was like my biggest thing because I was like, how am I gonna be able to balance these these different um, these different interests, right? Yeah. And so, so I think there, there's multiple multiple things we do. So one, we offer um, sliding scale appointments and everything. And so what I know is I have um, folks that are able to pay um, full rate and everything like that, mm-hmm. and um, and so, you know, sometimes what we're doing is we're doing subsidizing uh, of folks who can't. And so with my clinicians, what I always look at is if you you have a target of what you're looking to get for every session you do. All right. Mm-hmm. My job is to obviously keep this business running, but I want to make sure that you are meeting, getting your financial needs met. And if I got somebody that comes in and they can't pay your full rate, but they can pay a portion of that. Yeah. What I'm going to do is I'm going to supplement 
you know, with profits to make sure that you're you're getting you're getting fed, but they're able to keep doing what they're doing, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also do partner with or, other organizations in, in town. There's a there's an organization, uh, Harmony Health, in town, uh, led by a woman, Isis Bay, and and, and she and I mm-hmm. actually um, are doing kind of community mental health fundraising together. Oh, that's and, awesome. And and we do, and what I do is I, I I partner with folks too that if if they accept certain types of insurance and things like that that I don't, then I'm gonna tell somebody, hey, this place, here's some great people you can talk mm-hmm. to here. Yeah. Who will meet these needs um, if my sliding scale option doesn't work and everything else? And then that way you realize you don't have to try to see everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that and two, you can't. And three, and three, it's a matter of humility of recognizing there's also there's a lot of great people out here doing this work. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it's not about it's not so much about competing with each other, it's about how do we we, we collaboratively, yeah, we got collaborative competition. We're competing with ourselves to do better and to reach more people and to be effective. And so, so there's a, uh, somebody came in, I didn't realize they were coming in. So this <laughs> light just came on. Um, but um, there's a website called Open Path Collective. Okay. I always tell people about that and I'll make sure people get that, but it's Open yeah. Path Collective. Um, and on there, they also have low, low, uh, resource kind of things that you can utilize as well okay. so but yeah so now it's i always tell people just make the first call and if they call call my agency well first thing we're going to do is see if we can make it work for you if you, we can't we'll see if we can connect you to somebody who can um but yeah i think for us i think for us it is just recognizing there's help out there mm-hmm. <laughs> um and don't don't let the finances be the thing that leads you to say, I, I can't do it because because we can find a way um, to connect folks with the help if they're if they're devoted to getting it. That's awesome. And we had another question that came in um, that's definitely related. So what are like some of the warning signs that people should look out for? Is it just, you know, I'm I'm withdrawn or is it just, you know, what are some of the things that people should be like, hey, I need to call somebody um, or sure. I need to, to reach out. Sure. No, that's a great question. So, you know, um, so, yeah, so you're looking for significant challenge, significant changes sometimes in, in sleeping or eating patterns. First of all, like, am I, am I sleeping where I just can't get enough sleep? Okay. Um, for some folks, it's the opposite, right? I just yeah. can't get to sleep, you know? Eating wise, this is like, man, somebody's just eating, eating, and we're just putting, you know, all even more weight. And I know it's even more unique having this conversation in the midst of the pandemic, right? Um, but then you see folks that are also, um, that are, I, I'm just, I've lost all my appetite. Um, I'm looking at things that I used to enjoy doing, like, you know, now all of a sudden I don't like doing them anymore. I'm pulling back from it and everything else. And so, so what I'm looking for are those initial kind of things. If it's me personally, am I tearing up a lot more? Mm. You know, and and because people, what 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 you learn in the world of depression and anxiety, especially, is a lot of us kind of suffer in silence, right? Yeah. And um and so what I'm looking for again are those kind of those kind of internal shifts. But also I'll just say this, especially since we're going to talk about males, increases in anger. Um, mm. And, and I think that's important to hear because 
a lot of times we're not allowed to, you know, we're allowed anger is the only emotion we're allowed to have outside of being hyped up. But the truth is underneath that anger tends to be something that's more vulnerable, typically a a sadness, a shame, a fear, things like that. But if you start seeing more of that irritability, um, even just breakdowns and concentration, like I can't focus on my work. I can't focus on my school. I can't do that. Sometimes we think it's ADHD, but the truth is it can be, you know, struggle with depression, struggle with anxiety. Sometimes it's unrecognized trauma. And I just say, just start looking for those kinds of shifts, you know, in those spaces like that. That's that's great. And, you know, guys, I just want to encourage you guys, check on your people, you know, Mm -hmm. check on your family members, check on your friends. You know, if you notice that your friends aren't calling you or that you haven't heard from someone in a while Mm -hmm. or that their behavior is changing, you know, definitely check on them, reach out to them, tell them that you love them and that you care about them. And sometimes Mm -hmm. just listen. It just helps to just listen. Yeah. Just, just let them get it all out and then, and then, Suggest things to them. Yeah. Take them the information. I mean, it it, it, it just helps. Yeah. Lending, yeah. lending an ear helps. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you a question. I noticed that you write in the Charlotte <laughs> Observer. I saw the Raleigh News and Observer. Like, how did this social justice warrior, warrior, <laughs> this strong black man advocate for his people? Like, 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 how did you get started doing that? Man, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because like, it's just, um, so some of this is just even as a kid, for me, it was like, you know, I was always big for my age, right? So mm-hmm. I've been, I mean, since I was at the end of eighth grade, I was six to 190 or whatever, right? And yeah, so, I didn't, problems. I didn't have those problems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm still six two. I, I ain't I ain't nowhere no one ninety no more. So yeah. <laughs> but um but yeah, so I, I always remembered that for me standing up for, for folks who were getting picked on was something that I was always a part of. Um and even like I said, when I wanted to go to law school, it was I wanted to go to law school for civil rights law. You know, I wasn't necessarily trying to be a corpse. So it was that part was always um a part of a part of the journey. And then I think yeah, you know, here's the other interesting thing. I think that when when I went and was doing my own counseling and everything else, again, you know, I talked to y'all earlier about that challenge of being that bridge. Yeah. You know, sometimes it was a blessing and sometimes it was a burden. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes part of the burden was even though I always stood up for things, I felt like, you know, at times, like I said, in the same time that I wasn't sure what to say when that mom at 40 said something to me as a 16 year old, you know, I realized constantly holding those things in. Mm-hmm. It, it became a tax, right? And yeah. so, so I had to learn how do I exhale that? Because right. in a way, it was a toxin, right? And so, and so writing and, and speaking out, you know, is one of those things where is this? Not only is it is it for other people, but it's also therapeutic for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and what I've learned, um, you know, Rodney and Candace is that as I've been able to gain more credibility, security or whatever in terms of where I am. Like I don't I don't tiptoe around I'm not in a space where I feel like I have to tiptoe around and somebody gonna fire me, right? <laughs> they can't fire me. Ooh. And so because I am I, I, just, I just have a question for those of us who do have to worry about <laughs> about right. getting fired. Right. right. So how how can we be more courageous? 
um, and speak out in those moments. Yeah. So so part of it is it's like part of it is also building a community of folks. Right. So you're not necessarily on your own. And so what I do is like say when I go into organizations and do trainings or when I'm writing these things, I'm also putting out things that I feel like other people may also want to say, but don't feel like they have the freedom to say, well, the only thing you got to do is if somebody says, is this true? And you say, yeah, <laughs> you know, right? Like Candace didn't say it, but you <laughs> that Candace, does Candace recognize truth in this? Yes, she okay. does, you know, and then, but so, but when I, if I go into organizations, part of it is, is saying, look, in this community, if you want to keep your top black employees and things like that, you know, folks are making decisions now and, and jobs are already hard. But if I'm at a place where I'm constantly having to worry about, am I actually valued or where does my humanity stand? I'm going to try to find a place where I don't have to do that. And so, um, so, but, but in, within an organization, can we create a small network of folks within that mm. where we can kind of lean on each other? Because that's the thing is like, when I feel isolated in this, that's when it's hard, Candace. And, and, and but if also for people who move up, what I always say is, look, when you move up, you have a duty and a responsibility to not just allow yourself to be the token person that they put on the brochures. Say that one like, more time, Justin. I don't think you heard. They got to. That's what I'm just saying. Like, if you're going to move up, I can't just be the token on the brochures. And that's why I say yeah. if somebody asked me to be a part of some kind of board or anything like that, yeah. you're asking me because you need my representation. Right. Well, if you need my representation, then you're going to get my representation, which means representation of the ideas that I bring. Right. Or, or it's OK. You don't have to have me. Right. And, 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 and so but we have to figure out, too, how do we support each other in that and not undercut each other? Because sometimes right. what happens is I'm trying to climb the ladder and I'm going to undercut somebody else who's telling the truth. But here's the thing, you know, and I, I, I'm a. You know, I know this is a, it's a challenging topic. I'm saying, but again, like yeah, if I'm trying to climb that totem pole on on unhealthy merits, in the end, it's a noose. That's the only thing that's waiting at the top of it, <laughs> right? That's the only thing at the top. And so, the higher you climb, the harder that fall is. And so, for me, it's about how do we cut down that totem pole mm -hmm. and really, really make this a true community. Which means I'm gonna say this part two, which means that it's, it's a couple of things. One. Not only am I looking from a racial lens, but I'm also even within the race. I got to recognize the gender realities. So there's things going to deal with Candace. They're going to be different than I am. You, you're having the dual aspect, not only of being black, but you're also dealing with as a black woman. So as a black man, I have a responsibility not only to recognize where I'm being oppressed, but also have a responsibility to recognize where I may be blindly also participating in the oppression. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and instead of me taking that personal saying, hey, we all have to figure out how do we dismantle this unhealthy thing together and if we can't dismantle it how do we build together ourselves and say you know what hey that's fine yeah, yeah. you stay toxic but i got some other talented <laughs> folks. okay we're gonna do our own thing yeah we're gonna do our own thing and that's in my, in my practice like i said i've got i've got i've got a diverse set of folks that work with me and we work with a broad set of folks we work targeted with black folks brown folks we work with white folks and everything else and what you realize is that when you get people who are good at what they do yes you know and believe in in, in the shared vision and mission mm -hmm. you don't have to play the games the same way and everything else mm -hmm. but at the same time it's a journey of getting there so i i understand it 
So, let me ask you a question. So, what, what, in your opinion, what are some of the pressing issues socially that that are going on in Charlotte right now? You know, housing is always. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, housing is always it's it's it's, it's a fundamental thing. I mean, because on so many layers. So again, whether you're looking at the fact, so you know, tent city is not a new thing. It's just the visibility of tent city, right? <laughs> right? You know, like homelessness is a, is a thing. But even when we look at the development of communities, we got we got neighborhoods that have been long time predominantly black neighborhoods that now all of a sudden have appeals to people who it didn't appeal to before. Yeah. And so when, when folks are moving in, you know, part of it is making sure one, am I in a position to own? And if I do own, mm-hmm. am I in a position to protect what I own? Right. right. And so right. um so I think I think home ownership um and even for folks who don't own because everybody doesn't want to own, making right. sure that we actually have affordable rental options is always there. Yeah. But um you know when we that's one of the big roots of jail and um incarceration. I have a um supervisee who works in jail who just talks about there are people who cycle back in mm-hmm. when it gets cold because yeah, just have somewhere to stay. Yeah. I mean and that's what people used to do with with re- residential treatment when I was there too. It's like we knew during the summertime people were out living their best lives. Yeah. When it got cold, hey I'm ready to turn my life around, right? Yep. You know, and um but I, I think that I think the housing piece is a significant thing. I think, you know, I'm always passionate about education. Yeah. Um, and I think I think even so when we talk about mental health, I think we don't talk enough about the mental health of our young folks, mm. you know, and and the, the challenging world that they grow up into where, again, they have all of these awareness of things like police yes. brutality, of lack of opportunity and mm-hmm. Like stuff that we we take for granted, um, that I think I think we really got to listen to our young people more, yeah. and we got to we got to do some some um, gap, yeah, gap kind of closing because I think there's yeah. a gap we have across generations, but also across economics. So even within yep. the, within the race, there's there's no it's one thing to say we're not a monolith, but it's another thing to recognize that we got a lot of division. Mm-hmm. within our own race, yeah. let alone yeah. before we start crossing races. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And I mean I think that's I think I think, you know, more and more I think people are starting to realize these points. Um, you know, like you said, for example, your experience in college, I had a very similar experience in mm-hmm. college where and you know, even now where I'm the only black person in the room. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm expected to display the behavior um, that others would like to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at times that means um, diminishing Candace Mm -hmm. and having someone else there that looks the part. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, I think that's a very important thing um, is to kind of start talking about this with children um, start talking about this with kids that are in high school, people that are going to college in that transition um, phase, um, because I think that's like a, a space where, you know, you're really getting to know yourself. You're, you know, about to go be a grown up. And it's like everything changes at that point, mm-hmm. you know, all up until then. Then all of us were, you know, all of us were cool. <laughs> we were all yeah. friends. But when it was time to get a job. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, the battle, that battle. Candace, can I say something real quick to what you said? Because what you just spoke to is 
like so to me like people use the word healing a lot you know and that's in the name of my practice but i always, I, I think it's important to understand that that healing is a significant thing it's the mm-hmm. difference between just throwing a band-aid on it yeah. it's work and and i think what we're talking about is a lot of times internalized trauma that we have right mm-hmm. and and again that's cross-generational that's historical and it shows yeah. up in different ways and what you were talking about is what you're being asked to do, which, again, a lot of us have been asked to do in these spaces, mm-hmm. is what we call fawn, right? And so when we talk about trauma, we all know about fight, you know, we know about flight. Mm-hmm. I'm out, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I've done it, right? right? I've, I've done the fight. I've done the flight. We know about freeze where we kind of close up and internalize it again, where I was probably when I, when I was in college and it was like, this is all playing out my head. But then there's that other one, which is fawn, which is where we kind of like with fawn, what the, the person who's on the receiving end of the abuse or the trauma is mm-hmm. put in a position to try to accommodate and comfort the person that's aligned mm-hmm. with that trauma in the hopes that they'll reduce the amount of trauma that comes with them. Right. Wow. And so, so we see that in abusive relationships. But again, that's also these, in these 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 racial dynamics and these, co- right. these corporate spaces. And so I use that language, even if I go into an organization, I'm using that language not only with the black and brown staff there, but I'm also using that language with the white staff, especially in leadership and saying the challenge is to not continue creating environments where we have an expectation of folks falling. Like we got to figure out how do we compassionately confront the issues versus figuring out these traumatic responses. This is perfect. So I, you you put a quote here. Mm-hmm. We can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression, oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. Yeah. Son of Baldwin. And everybody gives it to James Baldwin. I did too at first, but it's do son of Baldwin. That's who that's from. Yes. And that quote, that is it. Ronnie, that's the quote right there. You don't have to see everything the way I do. I don't have to see everything the way you do. But at the same time, when it comes to you <laughs> eliminating me, when it comes to you taking away my ability yep. to, to live and to thrive and stuff like that, well, you know what? Agree to disagree is not good enough at that point. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, this is the one we go what fight, flight, free. Well, this is this is a fight situation. Yeah. Right? And 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 I think we gotta not allow ourselves to be gaslit out of out of yeah. anger. You know, you, it's okay to be an angry black man, or angry black woman. When there's righteous anger, I just figure out how do I channel that in a constructive way. So thank you. Thank you for highlighting that quote. Yeah. Justin, so what's next for you in, in Perry Counseling, Healing and Recovery? And, and also what's next? What's your current initiatives? Yeah, as far as what are you doing justice? now? What are you doing now? Sure. So, so yeah. So, you know, I think what's, what's next for us is... <laughs> You know, everything's like, you know, we're all navigating this world of COVID, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, because the thing is, we've, we've been doing, you know, we had to do, talking about all these pivots, we pivoted into remote and and everything's virtual because, you know, we're, you're in a condensed office and everything else. It's like the opposite of what <laughs> they're telling you to do. And so it's like, you're looking at the choice of masks and everything else. And at some point, we'll, we'll continue to make decisions. But um, so... What we're looking at doing is is I, I want to kind of build off this initiative in terms of fundraising with with ISIS Bay and partnering, and we want to do that not only for expanding access, but we also want to show how can people get involved. Owners. How can people get involved with that? So, so if you go if you go to my to my website, uh, okay. you know, justinperrycounseling.com, 
Okay. Yeah, so again, you go on justinperrycounseling.com at the top. Um, there, there's a link to the fundraiser and everything okay. else on there. All right. And, and so we're partnered with Harmony Health because again, for me, it's not necessarily about just trying to compete with other folks and saying, right. how do we black male owned, black woman owned organizations who both care about this community partner to yeah. expand our reach. Right. Yeah. You know, and, um, and so, so that's one of the things that we're looking to do, but we're also going to continue expanding group offerings. We did a, um, we did a, we did two things, um, last fall we did one for for women called um you know putting on your own oxygen mask which we will repeat again because we know one of the things we know is that that women are often compelled to do all of the caretaking for everybody else and then with nothing left for themselves right and so and which is a, which is something we've got to we've got to change yeah. um and we also we want to empower women in helping advocate for themselves but on a separate level Folks like Rodney and me also have to make sure that we're not complicit in carrying it out. Um, we did a group also for for folks that are Black, Indigenous, and people of color um, as well. You know, where folks a space for people to just kind of be authentic and kind of navigate these things. It was an eight week um, series, and so we want to look at kind of continuing to expand our group offerings and things like that. Okay. Because what we found is that it's great to have the the one on one connection. But one of the good things, even when you see within a group setting is you start to realize, okay, I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you can also build some of these kind of connections that can sustain even beyond and everything else. Yeah. You know, separately, um, from an advocacy standpoint, you know, there's one of the things that I'm actually looking at is the state. They, they actually just had social studies standards that, um, that included things like systemic racism and institutional mm-hmm. discrimination, which which was great. And then, unfortunately, because of how we performed in the state level election, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> including the black male lieutenant governor, who yeah, yeah, I saw that, I saw that one, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so yes, and I always say you got to be careful. Don't just look at the the, the skin yeah. color, right? You got to okay. pay attention to what folks are saying. Mm-hmm. Advocate to get that taken out. And so, so again, so it says racism and discrimination, but so, but working to make sure that we are still pushing to have a true authentic curriculum so that our kids actually know the true history of this country. Like if you know the true history of this country, there's no, there's no shock of what happened in, uh, at the Capitol. We actually had a Wilmington massacre here in North Carolina. We had a, an actual coup. But again, if you don't study that, you don't realize about that stuff. So working on that, working on work with housing, um, with group one mech, um, okay. and, and so, so yeah, so we're looking at, at doing things to figure out how do we build more, how do we preserve what we call naturally, um, occurring affordable housing It's called NOAA. So NOAA. naturally occurring affordable housing, how do we stop just allowing investors to coming in and, and buying all that up and then putting up high rent condos? Um, mm-hmm. why, how do we get the city and the county and folks like mm-hmm. that to actually acquire some of that so that yeah. we can keep folks in their communities yeah. um, moving forward. So That's important work, very yeah. important work. So Justin, so if, if I wanted to reach you, uh, how can I reach you? And do you have any volunteer opportunities or anything like that for people that are interested? Sure, so so yeah, so you definitely you can go to the website, uh, justinperrycounseling.com. Um, and there's, there's this spot that says contact us. If you, there's a little box in there, you click, you type whatever it is you want to um, that you that you're interested in, 
Mm-hmm. You send that and it'll come through a portal to us and everything else. So we can do that. I'm also on um, Instagram at Justin Perry Counseling as well. So again, you can go on there and then we also have a, a, a Facebook uh, thing as well for Justin Perry Counseling as well. So you can go on any of those um, in terms of connecting. Yeah. And right now, um, yeah, folks that have interest around um, housing and things like that, certainly I'm, I'm interested in, in connecting with. And another thing I would say is if you have an organization that's, um, I've been working with folks at a group called the Educational Equity Institute. We mm-hmm. go to organizations and do trainings with them around um, historical and racial trauma, as well as mm-hmm. kind of com- company culture yeah. that um, we're doing around the region as well. So if you have interest in any of those things, feel free to reach out. Yeah. And lastly, the phone number is 704-908-4061. Again, that's 704-908-4061. And so hopefully between any of those things. Yeah. If you guys don't know how to reach Justin, reach out to us. We'll get you in contact. We will connect you. We will connect you. (laughs) Justin, finally, before we we, we go, I have a very important question for you. Oh, gosh. Will the Tar Heels make the tournament? Because you lost (laughs) the Hey man, hey, uh, hey, 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 we, we are in better shape. We are in better shape than a lot of other blue bloods. So don't let, yeah, like, <laughs> we put us together. Like they don't want to let Duke stand on their own. All right, hey, we still we twelve and six, so we still we still we still, we still, uh, got, we still got a little bit of time left. <laughs> As of right now, we are in. Okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's the way I'm looking at it. It's one game at a time. We got Virginia tonight at Virginia, so that's been a uh, ugly. Ugly situation. So yeah, so yeah, we're we gonna get there. We're gonna be in there. We're gonna be in there. <laughs> like last year, right? Like last year. Huh? <laughs> hey, there, there was no tournament last year, so nobody. You, you, you knew you were gonna get in. <laughs> hey, oh, I don't. Man. I don't. I don't. And there was no tournament. You know, it, it like, <laughs> it's the Matrix, man. It's like the Matrix. That that, that season oh, never man. happened. <laughs> it's like my first sophomore. It's like my first sophomore year at Chapel Hill. It never happened, right? You know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, wow, Justin, thank you so great. much. Thank you so much for coming and blessing us with your presence. Uh, yeah. We really gave some valuable information. Yeah. And uh, ho- hopefully we gave you some good information as well. Yeah. And uh, thank you for coming. And, yeah, and thank you can you come so anytime and grace us with your presence. Yeah. And as always, like, share, subscribe. We are Cohort 1986 on Facebook, Instagram, tw- everywhere, Twitter, YouTube, anything else. Everywhere. <laughs> Anchor. <laughs> so, thank you, guys. Everyone have a great rest of your Saturday. And thank you again, Justin. Thanks, Justin. Thank you all. Appreciate y'all. All no right. problem. Bye. bye.